Heavenly Father, we're so very grateful that you've brought us here. We understand, Lord, that there are no coincidences in this world, so we believe this is a divine appointment. We pray specifically today that the Holy Spirit will be here with us. You've promised, if we asked, that you would send the Holy Spirit to be with us. And we are in desperate need of something great in your church and in our own lives. We need revival and we need hope that your coming is near and that we can finish strong. And as the theme of this convention has been, it is definitely time. So we thank you for hearing this prayer. We believe in faith that we will leave this place changed today by what you will teach each of us specifically. So we thank you for hearing us now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to talk about the ministry of business and the business of ministry. And I think those are both very important. But there's a few questions that I want you to know that we are going to answer with our time here today. Where are we at in world history? Why are we still here in 2012? What are we to be doing now? And the last is, how are we going to do it? So I pray that the, the sense of where we're at and what we're going to do and how we're going to do it can be answered today. Because if we just leave just as perplexed as we may have come in, we have wasted our time together. So I'm excited to share with you. Um, I would say that I qualify as a product of Seventh-day Adventism. Uh, homeschooled, and then the elementary school, and then the high school, and then the university. Uh, throughout, I was in Pathfinders. All the wonderful programs that an Adventist can be a part of, I was privileged to be a part of. Um, that would include being a vegetarian, being involved with all the things that Adventism prides itself in, and we have many blessings to be a part of. And I can tell you that through all of that, I was, I was as close as one could be a couple years ago to being an atheist as you could imagine. Why? Because I had taken someone else's experience, other experiences, and I, I had not personalized them. And it took me reading a book, The Great Controversy, and rectifying it with world events to realize this thing is real. This war is absolutely as real as we profess it to be. So for me, it was an experience that, that brought me here today. I began to ask questions. I began to see that we have answers to the questions the world is asking. And so it's exciting that we're going to look through some of these things and uh, I think get a sense of where we're at in the state of events of this world. As we all know, we recognize that war is on the television every evening. News is not something that we watch and are encouraged by. We live in a world where the reality is we're continually looking, some of us in kosher ways, others with not so kosher ways, of looking for things that can find us happiness. So I just want us all to be on the same page as we begin. We live in kind of a crisis point of Earth's history. This planet needs help. Our own families need help. Our physical health, our spiritual health, we need help. And I hope today you're going to learn some things that will help, whether it's your ministry, your business, your marriage, your relationship with God, whatever it may be. And whenever I need encouragement, there's actually a video that I love to watch. It's a short couple-minute video. I'm going to try and play it for you today. It's the leader of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Ted Wilson, just sharing a call to action 
And for me, it kind of sets the stage of how we're going to jump in today. So I'm going to begin that, and I hope you can hear the volume. That's a short video that has been a blessing to me to help me realize that God speaks through his church and that God has a man that has called us for a special time and a special purpose. So I believe we are on the verge of some very exciting things. And today as we look at these things, I want you to see that this is not by chance. It just doesn't happen to be that God decided, you know what, the church may be languishing. I'll send a leader in and we'll revive this thing. I believe God has been moving and the pace is picking up. And I hope you can sense that pace picking up. As we have seen over the last couple months and years, there's a call to reach the cities. And it's not just some arbitrary thing to reach the cities. It's a call to go where people are. Because we see a hundred years ago, the minority of people was in a city. Now the majority of people are in a city. So we go to the cities because this is where Jesus wants to reach people. And there's a statement in Medical Ministry, that, page 304, that says this. The work in the cities is the essential work for this time. When the cities are worked as God would have them, the result will be the setting and operation of a mighty movement such as we have not yet witnessed. God calls for self-sacrificing men converted to the truth to let their light shine forth in clear, distinct rays. We often think that to do the Lord's work, we need to go be trained to be a minister or into the ministry. And we have sadly separated the idea that I can be in the business world and be in, business, and be in ministry. And I want to suggest to you today, ministry is your life. Moms have one of the greatest ministries. They may never see outside the home and, and go baptize people in India and, and Africa, whatever it may be, but without good mothers, you have the downfall of society. So ministry is your life. If we can marry that idea today, I think you're going to be changed completely. Your business is a ministry. And I want to look at a few people in history that have had successful business-minded uh, methods in their lives, and they've been successful in ministry. One I can think of is a gentleman that came to Jesus one night. We're told he was very successful, and yet he was looking for something more. And this Nicodemus was shown how he could be made rich. Now we find out later that he used all of his means into the Lord's work to enrich the Lord's work. We look at another story, Joseph of Arimathea. We see an example there. Somebody who was very talented in business and successfully aided ministry in his life. But if you have a Bible, I want to show you something very interesting. Seventh-day Adventists have a, a unique thing. We do a lot of things with health, and we have this passion for some reason with health food. And I want to show you something in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 and verse 2. The setting is the early church is blossoming. They're preaching that the Lord is going to return. People are hearing this message. They're excited. And that's where we pick up. Verse 2. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them 
and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, where do we serve tables at? Restaurants. That's interesting. Okay. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this, what's the next word? Business. Okay. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Verse 6, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. This was a serious matter. We need men that can do business. Verse 7, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Why did that happen right after they designated these men to be in business? I think they saw that the ministry was expanding, and it included these men in business. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now, what do we know about Stephen? What's kind of Stephen's claim to fame? He's the first martyr of of this Christian era, right? He was designated to be one of these businessmen. Yet we're told that because of their efforts, the church multiplied, that people's lives were being changed, and something great was taking place, so that Stephen is the first one to get persecuted. Why would this business guy get persecuted before the ministers do? Well, it's, it's, uh, that's one example, and I think the serving tables is a quite interesting thought, that the early church involved in food service. How interesting is that? Okay, there's another place in Scripture I want to show you, that God has an interest in the cities, and specifically what we're doing there. Second Chronicles chapter 17, verses 7 and 9 specifically. If you'll turn with me to Second Chronicles, if you have a Bible, I'm going to read it as well. 7... And nine are the verses I want us to look at. It says, Also in the third year of his reign, he sent to his princes, even to Ben-Hael and to Obadiah and to Zechariah, Nethaniel and to Micaiah, to teach in the cities of Judah. And with them he sent Levites. And it goes through some wonderful long-named Levite priests. Verse nine, They taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them and went about through all the cities of Judah and taught the people. Verse 10, it says, And the fear of the Lord fell upon all kingdoms of the lands that were round about Judah, so that they made no war against Jehoshaphat. Also, some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and tribute, silver, and the Arabians brought him flocks, and it goes into the number of flocks. What's interesting about that is, we're told in Isaiah 60, verse 5, that the wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. So I just want you to see, there are things in the Old Testament that have modern-day application involving work in the cities and business. And then this is the interesting part. Verse 13. And he had much what in the cities of Judah? Business. The King James says business. He had much business in the cities of Judah, and the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. What I want you to see is God has always had an interest in the cities because that's where people have lived. And he hasn't only relegated the work of reaching those people to ministers. I believe if we were to take $100 million and every pastor we could find and put them in Cincinnati, 
our efforts would be utterly a failure. Because there's something about business that's quite interesting. There is an intimate relationship when you take money out of your wallet and you pay me for my product. Think about this the next time you're buying something you really want. This money is dear to you, but that product is more dear to you. So we're going to make an exchange. And this intimate relationship, I believe, is something that can lead us to further relationships down the road. Uh, I want to read a statement in, in follow-up to that Bible, uh, Bible text we just read. It says, Shall the prince of darkness be left in undisputed possession of our great cities because it costs something to sustain missions? Now, we don't have to lie about the matter. It's expensive to do business, especially in this culture we live in now. There are regulations. There are taxes. Uh, expensive real estate in downtown cities. You've got to pay for it. But the challenge here is, if we're going to win souls, it's going to cost something. Now, I don't know if you have friends like I have friends, but usually the emphasis is overseas. I want to be a missionary. No one ever says, I want to be a missionary to New York City. But why not? North America, we are the leaders of the free world. Everyone looks to North America. They're looking to see what we're doing, what we're watching, what we're listening to, what we're eating. Why would we not put more emphasis in this? And, and I believe what we're going to see here is we have to do this in North America. And the, the hill is, the mountain of difficulty is, it's going to be expensive. It's going to be expensive. But God is going to open those doors if we in faith will go forward. Here's another statement talking about that expense. Who is carrying a burden for our large cities? Some will say we need all the money we can get to carry on the work in other places. Have you ever heard that excuse? It's expensive to do evangelism here. I mean, you've got to rent an expensive hall. It can cost $20,000, $30,000. You go to India, you can build a church for $6,000. It doesn't make sense. Well, the statement goes on. This was written in 1909. It says, Do you not know that unless you carry the truth to the cities, there will be a drying up of the means. So I'm going to try and make that in layman's terms. If we don't get into the cities, Adventists are going to lose their wealth. The Gentiles, whose wealth is going to come into the movement, are going to lose their wealth. But, I mean, I believe this promise. Now, it's one thing to believe things in faith. It's a completely different thing to see the Washington Post say this. This was on June 11, 2012. 39% of American wealth has disappeared in the last four years. That's a lot of wealth. Nearly 40% of American household wealth has diminished in the last four years. Oh, yes. The last statement was General Conference Bulletin, May 24, 1909. And I have the link to the other one on the 40% decrease in wealth. So I want you to know that I believe we're seeing something that we've got to act or this drying up of the means promise is going to continue to happen. And we're going to need the means to do it. What does Solomon say? Money answers how many things? All things. We're going to need means to get into the Lord's work. We're going to need business 
to do the Lord's work because there's going to be some people that can only be reached through business lines. I want to read another statement. Evangelism, page 32. Often we've been told that our cities are to hear the message, but how slow we are to heed the instruction. And then Ellen White says this, I saw one capitalized. What, who, who do we think that is when it's capitalized one? Christ, okay. I saw one standing on a high platform with arms extended. He turned and pointed in every direction, saying, a world perishing in ignorance of God's holy law. And Seventh-day Adventists are asleep. She goes on to say, men and women in the highways and byways are to be reached. I don't know about you, but that statement uh, rocked me to the core. That Jesus Christ himself looked at the entire world and said a world is perishing in ignorance of God's holy law and Seventh-day Adventists are asleep. To me, it was conviction of, okay, fine, I got it. We're asleep. What do I need to do? Some of us may say, I'm not asleep. I want to do something. How do we make this difference? We make the difference with, I think now we could say, okay, we get it. We know we need to reach the cities. This isn't something that needs to happen necessarily on another continent. The majority of us live in or within an hour of a large city. So how do we reach the people in that city? There was an example of this, so we don't have to guess. And this was kind of the, the inspiration for what my dad and Enrico and I started the Beehive, which was, we, t- we titled our ministry, The Beehive. And the idea came from this very vision. I want to just read a few moments of it to you. I dreamed that I saw two beehives. This is from Welfare Ministry, pages, I think it's 110 to 112, depending on your version. I dreamed that I saw two beehives, one in San Francisco, one in Oakland. In the hive in Oakland, the bees were diligently at work. And then she goes on to make the application. This is talking about church members. When I related this dream, it was interpreted to me that in San Francisco, there was a great work to be done. We prayed much in regard to the necessities of the cause and the meaning of the dream and resolved to venture out in accordance with the light given. She says, she goes on, my husband and I decided to sell our property in Battle Creek. So this vision was so powerful to her, sell off the property in Battle Creek that we might use the proceeds in this work. We wrote to the brethren, sell everything we have in Battle Creek. Send us the money at once. This was done, and we helped to build the churches in Oakland and San Francisco. And the Lord revealed to us that although at first the work in San Francisco would move slowly, yet it would make steady advancement, and San Francisco would become a great center. The Lord would inspire men by his Holy Spirit to carry forward the work with faith and courage and perseverance. Now I want you to hear, and you might have heard Elder Wilson say this before, this is what they were doing in San Francisco. This is the vision. She gets it from Elder J.O. Corliss. He says, We learn that there are many, of Christ- many lines of Christian effort being carried forward by our brethren and sisters in San Francisco. These include visiting the sick and destitute, finding homes for orphans, and work for the unemployed, nursing the sick, teaching the love of Christ from house to house, the distribution of literature, and the conducting of classes for healthful living and the care of the sick. A school for the children is conducted in the basement of the meeting house. 
In another part of the city, a working men's home and a medical mission is maintained on Market Street, which if you've been to Market Street lately, it's still Market Street, people still need health. It says on Market Street near the City Hall, there is a bath establishment operated as a branch of the St. Helena Sanitarium. In the same locality is a depot of the health food company where health foods are not only sold, but instruction is given as to reforms in diet. Nearer to the center of the city, our people conduct a vegetarian cafe, open six days in the week and entirely closed on the Sabbath. Here, about 500 meals are served daily and no flesh meats are used. Dr. and Mrs. Lamb are doing much medical work for the poor in connection with their regular practice and Dr. Buchanan is doing much free work at the working men's home. At the medical and dental schools in the city, there are about 20 of our young people in attendance. This was a beehive of activity. And all these things were going on. And my question is, in your local city today, do you see all those things taking place? No. How many of you have an Adventist-run vegetarian restaurant in your large city near you? Please raise your hand. One, two, three, four of us, okay? You can see the ministry that was taking place. You can see all these facets. I mean, we just went through literature evangelism, preaching, medical practices, restaurants, health food manufacturing, all these things taking place in San Francisco. And what we find out later in the vision, it was to be a model for what the world would become. And it excites me to see Elder Wilson and others planning a model in New York City for what the work can become. And we're told that model of New York City will be what the world does. So we need to make sure it works and it counts. But let's make this practical. Practical in our own lives. I believe that the spirit of Protestantism leads to economic prosperity. And I don't just say that out of opinion. I read an article a couple weeks ago about the divide in Europe. Those with the most debt have the least Protestants. And there's, there's a clear divide. And, and why is this? Well, what does this mean? What does that have to do anything? I, because, I believe it's because freedom of expression and freedom to be an entrepreneur is something I believe God has put within all of us. The Gutenberg Bible, here's the did you know. The Gutenberg Bible was about a year's wage and was printed. Do you think the Gutenberg Bible was printed so that so the people could be uh, able to receive the gospel easily and just printed by mass and thousands of copies at first? No. It was printed because rich people could pay for it. And they could build a business on printing Bibles. So you had an entrepreneurial spirit printing a Bible, and we see what happened with the printing of that Bible. And then there's a statement that I believe this entrepreneurial spirit is something that we will not only experience on this earth, Hold on to your seats, but I believe we will experience it in heaven. Here's the statement. Great Controversy 677. Talking about heaven, the very end of the book, Great Controversy, it says there, the grandest enterprises may be carried forward. The loftiest aspirations reached. The highest ambitions realized. And still there will arise new heights to surmount, new wonders to admire, new truths to comprehend, fresh objects to call forth the powers 
of mind and soul and body. To me, that just gets me excited. Because if you've ever had an idea, and you've seen that idea executed, but then you have another idea, and you want to see that executed, to think about that spirit in heaven, you know, I I could think of like, uh, you know, let's think of a restaurant. The joy of you fixing something and someone loving that food is just an experience that few, few get to really have. And especially in the light of someone pays you for that exchange. So I believe this entrepreneurial spirit is something God has put within all of us. So I'm going to assume all of us have that spirit because in heaven, we're going to exercise it more. And if we're going to do something in heaven, I believe we can start that experience on this earth. So what does this mean? All right, well, you may be in business now. You may have a ministry now. Either way, you need to run your ministry and your business like a business. That, that, that may mean you have to raise the standards of what you're doing now. We can't treat ministries as if it's not something that should be well taken care of. They have to be a well-oiled machine so that God can bless them. Many of us would not be ready for a $100 million check to our ministry. We wouldn't even have a clue of how to open a bank account with $100 million in it. We wouldn't have a clue of what to do with it. So oftentimes when you're begging the Lord, Lord, I don't understand. I'm at ASI. I hear all these successful people and woe is me. I've got a negative account in my bank account and this is happening. This is happening. You know, it can be frustrating. Sometimes you just start to relate success in front of me and I'm not as successful back home. And oftentimes, many times we put on a front, everything is okay. And the reality is everything isn't okay. But I want you to ask yourself a question every time you get that little bit of discouragement to say, okay, two exercises. One is, if I had $100 million right now, what would I be doing in my ministry differently? If there are things that you can already do, there's a reason you don't have that $100 million. The second is, is are you ready for the Lord to bless you by opening the windows of heaven? More often than not, when I ask myself that question, it's, no, there's a few things I need to get the house in order a little more. There's, there's some things that I realize, you know what, I need, I need to fine-tune this. this. This isn't quite ready. And, and if, if you can start to analyze, I believe that the Lord will bless you through that process. So as we have that spirit, as we go forward, what we're going to see is, is that God is going to put it on our hearts I believe even in our ministries, we've got to start to think of them as a business. And a business has products. Business has something where if you share information, people want to either remember that, so they want to buy the tape, or they want to experience, I'll take you guys' example if I can. Little Light Studios right now is working on a project of agriculture. Now there's another thing that deep within all of us, we like to grow food. And another thing that we're going to do throughout eternity is grow food. People are going to watch this documentary on agriculture and they're going to say, I recognize a few things in that documentary that I need to do just as successful of a garden as they've done. Where do I find that product? So they've taken a ministry idea, presented it, and now there's a product to fulfill a need. This idea is not new. The Waldensians were involved with this method. And I want to show you that they understood the ministry of business and the business of ministry better than any I've I've seen written about. Here it is. This is from Great Controversy, page 71. To have made known the object of their mission would have ensured its defeat. 
Now, just so we understand the context, they're in Christian Europe. And to be outside of that typical Christian view was not popular. Question, today in 2012, I'm going to assume you're a Seventh-day Adventist. And I'm going to assume that you believe some things differently than the general bulk of Christianity in the world. When the Muslims hear of Christians, they think of pig-eating Westerners. They watch that filth on the television oftentimes. That may not always be the case. Those people don't know how to dress. They don't know how to eat. And they look at that. So that when you and I may come over there and we say, I'm a Christian, and we proudly wear this badge, they have the connotation of thousands of years of bad history. So be careful to quickly lump ourselves into a stereotype. And I say that because Seventh-day Adventists are unique. We believe some things that the New Age crowd really likes. So you guys like a plant-based diet too. Yeah, absolutely. We believe strongly in a plant-based diet. So we have an inroads there, and yet that stands very differently than maybe the bulk of Christianity. So we have to realize we're living in a context today where we're a little different from the mainstream. And so I want you to relate with these Waldensian Christians here. To have made known the object of their mission would have ensured its defeat. Therefore, they carefully concealed their real character. Now, they weren't being deceitful, but they couldn't outwardly express, this is who I am. Here it goes on. Every minister, which was everyone, possessed a knowledge of some trade or profession. And the missionaries prosecuted their work under cover of a secular calling. So they had the desire, I want to be a missionary. And they realized, I can't just go into town and pass out prophecy seminar invitations and everyone will come. I have to do this covertly, under cover of a secular calling. Usually, they chose that of merchant or peddler. They carried silks, jewelry, and other articles, at that time not easily purchasable, save at distant marts. So they were into the niche product business. And they were welcomed as merchants, or businessmen and women, where they would have been spurned as missionaries. Wiley, chapter 7. All the while their hearts were uplifted, it goes on, all the while their hearts were uplifted to God for wisdom to present a treasure more precious than gold or gems. They secretly carried about with them copies of the Bible, in whole or in part. And whenever an opportunity was presented, they called the attention of their customers to these manuscripts. Often an interest to read God's word was thus awakened, and some portion was gladly left with those who desired to receive it. I hope you see that these people were missionaries to the core, yet they realized they lived in a world where it would not be easy to go into New York City and declare a message about the Antichrist. They realized that I'm going to have to do this in a roundabout way. It's going to be extra work. It would be easy to take the money, go into a city, and declare prophecy truth. But they realized, I have to do this under a secular calling. So the Lord may be preparing you to be a missionary, or you may already be a missionary in mindset. Either way, we're all called to be these missionaries. The question is, 
where are you at with this concept that the Waldensians had? Kelly's going to talk more about specifics of things perhaps that God has called us into, maybe, if you will, some, some gems of Adventism, some things that we may be exceptionally prepared for, but I believe what we all need to realize is God has called me to reach the cities, and it may be that I need to think a little more clearly about this secular front that I'm going to have to do it with, because I think we can be honest with each other. We could be a lot more effective than we are. I hope that's the nicest way we could say it. We could be doing a lot better than we are. There are many of us with talents that we aren't expressing those talents. And God is going to come one day and ask you, what have you done with your talent? I gave you one. I gave you two. Some of us, he's given five, whatever it may be. But you have a talent. If you don't know that talent, it needs to be your number one desire to figure, what is my talent, Lord? Because I believe I can use it in the ministry of business and the business of ministry. Just like the Waldensian Christians. Because they kept the flame alive through a time of extreme persecution. And I want you to know that we have the opportunity today to keep the flame alive and to see something happen in this world that we have answers for. We hold it in our hands, the diabetes problem in the United States, do we not? We hold it in our hands. That is in our right pocket. We pretty much have what's causing all these cancer-related illnesses. That's in our other pocket. We know how to raise a good family. That's in another pocket. And what I'm recognizing is the world is taking principles that aren't as effective as what we have, and they're profiting from them. And oftentimes we look at people who are successful in business and we say, they're worldly. What do they need with all that money? Wish I had some of that money. We don't understand the idea that God has you in a place where he's teaching you something. Some of us will need to enter the kingdom of heaven broke. Some of us will need to enter with all of our money burned up. Because that turning point, we're going to realize one day, we're told that when eternal realities open up, the value of means is going to drop suddenly. Some of us, it'll just take that conviction. I shouldn't have done what I did, but Lord, forgive me, save me in your kingdom. God has all of us in, in place. I want you to know you shouldn't be somewhere else. And Kelly, you're going to expand on this idea. We aren't all called to go to Asia. Don't feel that you aren't fulfilling ministry if you're not preaching from the pulpit every week. You have a ministry that I can never reach. I want us to look at a couple examples. How are we doing on time? 420, okay. I'm going to let you continue on here. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, share. And I don't know if this is right or not. Right there. How's that? Can everyone hear me? Okay. Can't hear myself that well, so that's probably better. You know, to build on Jared's point, I had a thought that um, struck me there as he was speaking about the necessity of going in to the cities, meeting the people where they are. I think there's one thing that has to pervade our thinking. This is a life and death 
issue. We are at a point in history where this is a life and death issue. It's not about all the, the political things that, and such things that people are talking about today. It's about a great controversy between two very, very powerful, powerful uh, enemies of each other. And one of them's going to win, but it's truly a life and death issue. And as he said that it's our necessity to go into these cities and meet people where they are and bring the blessing and help them, as is our desire, I thought about it while he was speaking, and you see a pattern of that very thing in the Bible itself. We find Cyrus, who the Bible refers to as the Lord's anointed, Cyrus, where did he go in Babylon? Did he skirt around the edge of it or go hide out in the country? He went right into the heart of that city. And that city had its own river of life, didn't it? And what did he have to do with that? He had to cut that river off. And you find the same thing happen in the book of Revelation. You find the Lord do the exact same thing. He goes right into the heart of the confusion. When it's at its crescendo, when it's at its peak, he goes right into the heart and he takes it out. And that's really, uh, that's really a message for us today. So with this, I, I hope today to give you more of the practical side of this and how it relates to me. I'm sure I've had so many people ask me here um, a little bit about myself, so I'm going to spend just one second on my history, but then really bring you up to the, the latest history to relate some of our experiences. And as many of you probably know, I, unlike Jared, and many of you here, I was raised in a completely secular environment. I had been to, work, uh, to church, I could probably count it on one hand. I had an uncle, God bless him, that went to church. He went to many different churches, and whenever he found a new one, I usually got invited. And there's probably two or three times that I went to church in my life. I, was complete, I had a completely secular mindset, completely secular background. Not only did I have no knowledge of God, I had no belief in God whatsoever. It made no sense to me. Now, with this, some events took place in my life, later in my life. There were a few events that took place early in my life that made me wonder if there was a God. Uh, but later in my life, as I'm going to talk about now, uh, some events took place that led me to this place. And I can tell you, I, as I live and breathe, I believe it came, became an issue of life for me. It was life and death, and I pray to God day by day that it will result in life. But the reason I want to share this with you isn't to just share a story. I want to encourage you, but I want to take some of the, 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 the necessities that Jared has outlined, the things that we should be doing, that many of us know. I want to share with you my personal experience in these things because I believe that it is part and parcel to this work today because I was reached through business and the ministry of business and the business of ministry. And I'm going to put this iPhone away because it's going to distract me. The reason we're here today, I would submit to you, is to talk about how we can more effectively 
use business to reach people with the Savior of this world. I spoke the other day and I shared with people that we think of Jesus coming, and he came here literally 2,000 years ago, and he is going to come again. Do we all believe that in this room? I hope we do. I can tell you, I believe that with all my heart. But you know what? He's going to be seen in this world before that as well. And where do you think he's going to be seen? He's going to be seen. People are going to come face to face with his character in his people. And who do you think is responsible for that event to take place? That's us. That's us. So first, I'd like to relate a few steps in my experience as they relate to business and then the business that we are engaged in today. Because I can tell you that myself, my precious wife, and my family have fully engaged ourselves. We completely disengaged with all of those things on the periphery. Many of them were front and center in our life. We completely disengaged with those things which we did not believe would be truly successful in reaching people with the hope that we have today. I started out, and these are the steps. One, you have to recognize where people are in these cities. Personally, I started out lost. And I would say not only lost, but I was as lost as a person could get. I had such a firm belief in my mind that I was all right when I was all wrong. And I mean all wrong. And if you had asked me at that time, I wouldn't even have had a discussion. If you had brought to me a piece of literature, if you had asked me to come to church, if you had tried to share with me, you would have had no success. I know because I had people try to do it. The second thing that happened to me, and I think you're going to find that there's a pattern here that you'll find to be consistent with other people. And it is important for us to recognize this pattern so that we can fully engage in business and reach people where they are. The second thing that happened to me is I had interaction with others that caused questions in my mind. So I came from being wholly lost, no belief, no knowledge of God whatsoever, to interacting with people. And my interactions with them caused questions to come up in my mind. Now, the second I had questions in my mind, I had no way to answer them. So I started searching. I couldn't understand what was happening. My thoughts, everything began to change. Who was working on my heart? The Holy Spirit was working on my heart. But how do you think this interaction came about for me? It's through business. I was the greediest person you've ever met. I, re I told the guy the other day, I remember being in kindergarten. It was the worst year of my life because my mom was teaching that class. I remember being in kindergarten. We had a few kids in a small room. And uh, there was a couple girls in there, and they were always going to be first in that class. They wanted to be right in the front. And one of the games we'd play was follow the leader. They wanted to play follow the leader, and they had to be in front. Where do you think my mom put me? Dead last. 
You know what I learned? I learned that all I had to do was hold back a little bit, and then where was I? Because they just catch right up to me, and then I was in the front of the line, and I usually got sent out on the stairwell to think about it for a while when I did that. But I was driven by, I was driven by greed. I wanted to succeed. I wanted to be first. Everything in my life revolved around me, and nothing and nobody else made any difference to me. And I'll submit to you that I probably wasn't the only one in the world with that mindset. I wasn't the only one. And you will find that this whole world today, what does it drive people toward? Being first, being number one, being known, being something. It all focuses on me. There's a lot, by the way, there's a lot of wonderful, precious people out there in this world that don't adhere to that mindset, that have never heard this. I really appreciate that. That was the second step. Interaction with others through business led me to begin questioning. Once I began to question, then a few of those people in that business started speaking to me about another book. What do you think that book was? It was the Bible. Now, you know what? If Dan had walked up to me and said, you know what? You need to read the Bible. I'd have given Dan about three seconds to get out of my face. I remember having people approach me and ask me one day, have you been saved? We'd like to give you a Bible. I said, don't bother and don't talk to me about this again. I'm not interested. But because of business, and the relationship that I had with others, with people that I respected, and bear in mind, I was as greedy and selfish as a human being could get. But because of that, and, and with that, God was able to use that condition in me by putting businessmen in place that I had a respect for. I had no respect for other people. But when I saw people that were successful, that were engaged, that were, had an entrepreneurial spirit in this, I had respect. And when they said, you know what? When I would ask questions and they say, you know what? Why don't you look here? Try this. There's a book in this Bible. Go to the book of Luke and look this up. What do you think I said then? I said, thank you. I appreciate that. My motives in saying thank you weren't even right at that point. But I agreed because of the relationship that had been developed with me. That's the next, so that's the next step. With this, as many of you I hope know, once you begin engaging with people, once you begin to engage your mind in the scripture and in the word of God, what begins to happen to you? Your mind is transformed. If you will not resist, your mind will be transformed. That's exactly what began to happen to me. I didn't know it all. I didn't believe it all. But my mind was transformed. And in the place of anger and greed and selfishness, something else began to develop in my heart. I hope they could. And I think you're right. Because as business is affecting me, and I begin to eat of that bread and take in these principles that I had learned through that business, what am I engaged in? I'm in business. And as 
my brother said, what's happening to others? Now they're starting to see this change. I didn't understand it. It's a powerful, powerful tool. Now, where did this all start? The business. It started with business. Through this, next step. So that's the, that's the last step. Next step. I began to gain experience. I began to study. And God began to work on me. And oh, what a work he had to do. But I began to gain experience. And through this experience, did, the, did this experience happen overnight? It didn't. It took time. He had a tough nut to crack. But it took time. But as that time progressed, I began to truly apply the principles. I began to apply the principles that I was reading. And in this course of time, he put me in touch through business with people who were wholly vested in the health message of the gospel and the saving power of God through that health message. And when he did that, I began to apply these principles. And this leads me, there's a couple more steps here in this, but it leads me into some other things. With this, with, uh, this application to these principles, we formed a total commitment to what we were doing. And I want you to lock that away for a second because that's very, very important. Next step. After we applied those principles, we began to read and look for promises and we began to claim them. Come on in. Come on in. We began to claim those promises and then once we did that, we put it to work for others and this is when we really engaged in the ministry of business. We gave everything that we had into this business, and we didn't have a lot to give at that time. But with this, those are the steps that we really went through to come to the place we are. And now I want to share several principles that I think are critical for a person to go through this. Now, as I've been here at ASI, I find that everybody I talk to that's involved in ministry or business, when I talk to them about this, I get the most incredible report of how wonderful everything's going. It's amazing. I mean, I'm seeing miracles. Are you guys hearing about miracles that are taking place here? It's amazing. Have you seen one that isn't experiencing that? Well, I want to share with you, there is one. He's standing right here today. And while I've experienced miracles, guess what happens in between those miracles? I have to deal with reality. And you know, this morning I had, in the last week or so, I've thought about what we were going to share today. And I had a conversation with a brother of mine. And it changed, uh, changed a few of the things on my my uh, list here of what I wanted to share. I see a lot of people with amazing miracles and amazing testimonies happening in their life. But I want to tell you today, I know personally it's not that easy. And if anybody leaves this room today and you, you have come here with questions and those questions aren't answered, then I don't believe I've done my job. 
and I've been to these events before. I can tell you this is a very difficult road. We see the need for business. We can relate the things that will bring that lost soul to be engaged in these principles to receive the gospel like I have. But the question really comes down to us, how in the world do we accomplish this? Everybody here, anybody here in business today? Okay, you have businesses? Okay. Do you desire with all your heart to be engaged in ministry through that business? I hope so. I am. Okay? And I'm going to make the assumption that every one of you is fully funded. You have all the money in the world to engage with. Am I correct? Okay? And I'm going to make another assumption that nobody here has ever had a difficult time doing this. Right? Okay? And I'm going to assume that nobody has ever shed a tear or prayed. And even more importantly, you've never wondered, why is everybody else having it so easy? All these miracles, everybody's got all these things going on. He's doing this, they're doing that. Lord, did you forget me? Have you wondered if God has forgotten that you're involved in this and you're trying with all your might? Have anybody here had that experience? Okay. So if that is the case, and by the way, I'll tell you, I think it would probably shock us if we're honest. And I want to tell you today, has anybody here tried our ice cream? I think everybody in here has tried our ice cream. Okay. Seen our products, seen the banners, seen all these wonderful things we're doing? Would you believe me if I told you that in the last weeks I've had times where I wanted to die, I was so tired and crushed down? Would you believe me if I told you that I've had times where I literally didn't know if I was going to be able to feed my children? I'm not just speaking this, guys. I'm telling you, this is real. This is real. Has anybody else had this experience? Okay. Have you had any frustrations? That's really what I want to turn to here today. I want to share with you, in the book of Galatians, incidentally, does, does our Savior, does the God of this world, and we believe He's the God of this world and of this universe, can He relate to these things? Yeah. Do you, know, do you think it was fun for him? Do you think when he was here, it was all a bed of roses and he had all the funding in the world? And, every, and everybody that came to him, he just said, yeah, this is what we're doing. It's just exploding. It's taking off. We're traveling the world. You wouldn't believe what we're doing. Can you find that in the Bible, anybody? No. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, and um, we're going to go to make sure I'm going to the right place here. Galatians chapter 6, and you find in, verses ni- in verse 9, it says, Let us not be weary in well-doing. 
So if he's telling us not to be weary, what did he anticipate? Weariness. Going to be tired. It goes on, it says, For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So if he tells us that if we're faithful, if we do this, we won't faint, what is he anticipating? Okay, so here's the next thing I want to identify. And I hope this is an encouragement to you today. When you see everybody exploding, taking off into orbit, you know, telling you about, oh, they're really getting ready to do an IPO. You know, this thing's out of control. And you're smashed down. And everything seems total loss. Count it all joy. Now, I know that's easier said than done. But I can tell you, there's one thing you can depend on. That you're walking in the footsteps of the Savior. If you will take, make a complete commitment to the principles that God has given you, I can promise you that he will see you through. But I can promise you it's going to be tough. When the day came that my family and I said, we will never put an animal product in our mouth again as long as we live. This comes from... A, fifth-generation dairy farmer. We were scared to death. I remember being on my knees and saying, Lord, if we starve, it's your fault. But we are going to do what you say no matter what. And when that commitment came, that's when we began to have the blessings. And that's when it got hard. It was not easy. It was very difficult. I've come to see many times, it's like going into a tunnel, a very dark tunnel, and you wonder many times, am I ever going to come out of this tunnel? But you know what? The simple fact that it's a tunnel tells you that there's going to be some light on the other end. And every time when it goes right to the very depths of despair, guess what? An angel is sent to show you that light in the end of the tunnel. I, uh, I remember not many months ago, and I have a beautiful family, and I remember not many months ago praying to God that if it was going to continue, some of these things like I see them every day, if I can't improve, anybody ever get frustrated with himself? Everybody, anybody ever see your limitations and you just plead with God Till your stomach hurts that he would help you overcome these deficiencies so that people could be reached through you? I have. And I remember asking God not many weeks ago that if he sees that I cannot do this, if he cannot help me do, if he's not going to help me do this, then let me die. Because I trust he'll take care of my family, but let me die. And I walked away from that prayer with breath still in my lungs. And when I did that, I said, okay, Lord, if this is the case, the simple fact that I'm breathing right now tells me that there is hope. And it tells me that there is a work to do. And I don't understand it, but you're going to have to deal with these def deficiencies and I will continue forward as you give me the strength to do so. Yeah, it's not easy. Jesus himself, you know, in, in I think it's in John chapter 12. He says, he who loves his life 
will lose it. He who hates his life will gain it. You know, he'll have his life. You know, that's for us. Life wasn't fun. And we just, we think of that only in spiritual terms, but let's think on the, uh, let's think in literal terms. Do you think it was fun for our Savior? It wasn't. It was hard. It was hard. His heart was broken. He was perplexed. There's not one thing that we're dealing with today that he didn't have to deal with. So with that, that's a point I want to make. It's difficult. It's not easy. But don't think because it's difficult and you're struggling that he's not with you, that he's not going through this with you. The second thing I'll ask, um, when you got into business and you're engaged in this ministry, I'm going to make the assumption that when it got really tough and you turned to somebody that had a wealth of experience and deep pockets, they said, hey, come right on in. I'll tell you exactly what to do. I'll take you under my arm. And you know what? I'm going to fund your product. Is that what you guys found? No. Huh, that's funny. I didn't find that either. In fact, you know what? There came a day when I was thinking, and, and I, I'll back up for a second and tell you, everything we had. When I saw this work and I encouraged people, there is a very clear road that is outlined for us in the Bible and especially in the spirit of prophecy as to what we need to be doing specifically as Seventh-day Adventists to finish this work. It's very clear. If anybody has questions, we can share about that afterward. But it's very, very clear. And whatever road you're on in business right now today, I can tell you he can use you. If it's cleaning toilets, he can use you. But with that, with that, my family and I gave everything we had. We had nothing more to give. Whatever means we had, we had nothing more to give. And we had some friends that were, God bless their hearts, had wanted to see us get into this. Weren't even... I mean, it's just an amazing story. Wanted to see us get into this, encouraged this, gave what they had. And you know, when the day came, and we went out into this, and we thought, you know what, this thing is going to go to the moon. We have intellectual property. We have products, processes, machines that the world has never seen. We've got everything we need, and we are going to have to build a plant that will sustain this capacity to make these products. We're going to have to build it big. We're going to have to build it loud. We're going to take everything we got. We don't need to market or anything because this stuff is going straight to the moon. Guess what? We've got the most beautiful plant. It's big. It's got incredible capacity. That capacity increases every day. We went into the market. Guess what? Within months, I'm sitting there saying, uh, Lord, I have four children, and I don't know how I'm going to feed them. I'll have a few oats left over if we have anything to remain after this. So I turned to others, and I said, you know what? I've got this issue, and I'm recognizing some holes in my armor as a businessman to effectively manage these resources that, you've placed into my, that God has placed into my hands. Can you help me with this? And 
you have told me, you were one of the ones that was encouraging me how incredible this was. Go forward, go forward, go forward. You saw the potential in these things. So do you want to help me? You want to go forward with me? How many takers do you think I have? <laughs> you find out quickly in business who your real friends are too. You know? Had little bits of advice and everything. Oh, do this. You know what? Just keep courage. You'll do it. Didn't help me that much. I know. If I need courage, there's only one I can find courage from now. Amen. So, you know what? God is a creator. He created us. And if he created us, we have the mind of a creator. And it is, it is in the fiber of our being, at the core of our hearts, to do things, to create things, to become something. He didn't put that there for no reason. So if he placed that in us, and if we are supposed to use those resources, those talents, those things to bless others, and he's the one that created it, who's, whose example do we need to follow? His. When you, need, when you need things, it's so often that when you need things, the help isn't there. The help's usually there when you're successful, you're doing well. Now, there are exceptions to that rule, and I can tell you miracles that, would, that will make your hair stand on then that we have personally experienced. I can't begin to tell you the blessings that have come through that, but I want to paint a picture of reality here so that I can encourage you through this. And I'm going to try to wrap this up. But um, understand that he has bought us to save us, but he's also brought us to save us. And when he brings you through these things, when he guides you through these waters and everything, he is there. He is there with us every second. Okay? So now I want to relate a few experiences that I've had. One of the points that I outlined is that we need to claim his promises and believe in them. If others... And by the way, I want to tell you, those people that I went to, and I don't in any way want to infer that I got nothing. I mean, they were very helpful. There was some advice that if they hadn't given, I would have been in trouble. You know, I would have been in far more trouble than I am now. And it truly helped me through. But God is waiting for human instrumentalities through, he can, through whom he can work. And if he's put it in your hands, if he's entrusted it in your hands, then he believes enough in you to see you through it. And that is what he wants to do. And that you have to understand that if he has placed that there, even if nobody else believes in you, he does. And he wants you to go forward. He wants you to go forward. And if you ask him, he will help you. Now, now, we believe that the Lord created the heavens and the earth, don't we? Who helped him? Who helped him? His Father. It says that the Father and the Son participated together in the creation, didn't they? Yes. So if that was the case for Jesus in the creations of his hands, what is it for us? 
And if we will simply look up those promises and claim them, there is counsel for us to take those promises in the Bible, hold them up to God, put your finger on them, and remind him of those promises to us. And I'm going to submit today that the majority of those promises for us deal with our character and the work in the cities and blessing others. In our character and ministry, because the two are indelibly linked. Point to those promises and take hold of them. Angels, says the angels are waiting for human instrumentalities through whom they can work. All of his biddings are enablings. When he calls you to do something, very simple rule that I came up with. If you are alive and you're breathing, don't stop. I borrowed when I was, uh, when I was 26 years old, I borrowed uh, a lot of money, a lot of money to do a business deal. How in the world this came about, I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't have loaned me the money, but it's the time when they were loaning money. They loaned me the money. Within two days, I was under my desk in my office by myself, and I couldn't get up. I was in tears. I was crying so hard. I was so scared. I was terrified because these contracts, these things that I've been doing that I had borrowed this note on, all of a sudden, a few things came crashing down. And I realized I am in deep, deep, deep trouble. And I pleaded with God. I first went to others, no help. Boy, you're really in a pickle there. You know, I'll be praying for you. I really feel for you, you know. Just have courage. No help. But you know what? I pleaded with God, you know, in in less than a year and a half, less than 18 months. I had completely retired that note and I had done very well on top of that. And then I went right back out and got myself in trouble again. If you're breathing, don't stop. Don't stop. It truly is a life and death issue. We, we have formed several entities now and it hasn't been easy. And it's not easy. Even today, it's not easy. We enjoy it. We are seeing miracles in the intellectual property processes, machines, all of these things. We're seeing miracles. And every day we are having opportunities open up for us that you cannot believe. And it is very, very difficult every day. But we have formed entities with one purpose, so that we can take the blessings from God and that we can begin to return those blessings to his people. And when we take our blessings, when we take the blessings from him and we give them to other people, who are they returned to? They're returned right back to him. They go right back to him. Jared spoke for a moment about uh, San Francisco. We have a manufacturing company and uh, we have products that are nationally distributed. And uh, they're very, we think they're very good. We feel very, very blessed to have them. Every time I hit a wall, I pray, and my children pray, and my wife prays. And we wake up in the middle of the night 
with another idea that fixes the issue, whatever the problem is. We have hit walls you can't believe where everything seemed utter destruction and loss. And um, we've gone around those walls, over those walls, through them, under them, whatever fashion. And in the end, there's one thing that is very consistent. Every time I go into an experience like that and I say, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how to survive, Lord. I'm finding that if I simply apply the principles that are given to us in the Bible and in the spirit of prophecy, that I go beyond those issues. And then 100% of the time, I can turn around and say, I wouldn't have done that any other way. Because if he hadn't done it that way, I wouldn't be here now. I wouldn't understand the things that I do today. Jared spoke about San Francisco. We have a plan to begin working to reestablish that beehive, if you will, in San Francisco and the cities of the world. It's a very aggressive plan, and we're well on our way with it. And I can tell you one thing that really strikes him home in my mind. I'm unqualified. I'm underfunded. I have absolutely no idea how we're going to pull this off. But you know what we've got? We have very well-drafted plans, and we will execute those plans with laser precision because God is the one that drafts these plans. He gives us the ability. All we have to do is take our guidebooks and apply the principles that are made, look at what he tells us to do, draft the business models for those, and then go do it. And I can't tell you how many people there are in the world that are infinitely more qualified than I am, or any of our people are, to do that. But you know, the day might come when they, when they are part of this. But right now, we have one thing that we have to be focused on, and that's doing that. When I was, a, when I was little, on the farm growing up, we had, um, we had a very steep hill that went up to the farm. And we had, uh, we had silos up at our farm. Silos hold silage, fed our cows silage. And um, when I was about seven years, I think I was seven, eight years old in there, one of my jobs was to transport the silage wagons from the fields maybe a mile away or so back up there and I had to move as fast as I could because they're, they're chopping silage in the field and there's a crew putting it up its feet into the silos there and I was the guy that was pulling these. There's typically about 40 tons or 40,000 pounds of chop or silage in these wagons and I had an old farm all, big farm all international harvester tractor that I used. And this was in the day, anybody drive a standard transmission today? They're pretty easy to drive, aren't they? This is in the day, those standard transmissions that you have today have what's called synchro mesh transmission. They will align the gears, the engine, the engine and the, the transmission, it's all aligned as you shift, so it just goes in like butter. This was in the days where you didn't have that. You didn't have that. You had a clutch and you had a big long gear shift that had a lot of leverage on it. And on this steep hill, it climbed to about a 13, 14% grade in one spot. 
and you had a double pin reach on, on this wagon, and if you started up that hill with that tractor, now I'm seven, eight years old, and I remember my grandfather taking me on that tractor and he telling me clearly, he says, boy, this is how you have to do it. You have to get a run because you can't pull this hill if you don't get a run at it. You've got to plan it before you get to that hill. And if you, and you're going to have to shift twice on that hill. And if you miss a gear, you will die because you're going to be headed backwards down the hill with a double pin reach and an old farm all tractor with no roll bar, no seat belts, anything like that they have today. And you know what? I remember that well. I would get to right the point. I knew exactly what he said. I followed his instructions. And when I got right to a point, I can see it in my mind today, I opened the throttle up on that tractor and I grabbed another gear and I headed up into that hill. And every time, I got goosebumps as I talk about it now, because every time I got into that, I was terrified. Because I knew if I don't make this hill, I am going to die. And I would get into that hill, and if you didn't know how to hit that thing perfectly, there was no hope. You would miss a gear and you were done. And you had to hit it perfectly every single time. And if you didn't, you were in trouble. I remember that well. And you know, by the grace of God, I never missed a gear. Never missed a gear on that tractor. Because I was scared to death. And I'm going to tell you that with business today, you're going to be scared to death. But your father, our father, has given us a plan. And he's told us, when you see these things, open that throttle up and give it another gear, and you're going to hit a hill. And it's going to be a tough pull. And you're going to be scared to death when you do it. But you have to do this when you hit that hill. You've got to be intelligent about what you're doing, and you've got to go past the emotion and be objective and grab another gear. And you're going to have to do that several times before you're in safe country. And you know what? We have those plans. He's given us that. And you're going, we're going to be fearful. But you know what? He's right there with us. And one thing I learned about that, those old tractors is they never whimpered. Nothing you could do could break those things. I thank God for that. And you know what? Nothing we can do can break his plan. And he'll help us to take his plans and make them our plans. It says, when the will unites, when our will unites with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. It doesn't mean we become God, but it, be, it means that we have all the power at his disposal, all the power from him at our fingertips. That's what he's given us today. All his, all his um, biddings become enablings. This is our work to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close, but I want to open it up for questions because I don't want anybody to leave here today if there's something I can't, I don't even know if I can answer your questions, but I will do my best to do so. But I don't want anybody to leave here today with a false sense of security that they're all right and everybody's all wrong or vice versa. I don't want anybody to think that it's all a bed of roses out there in business. But I want everybody to recognize 
the most powerful evangelistic tool that God has given us is in our hands, and it is through the business world. Through one ice cream cone the other night, there's a whole ministry that is opening up. The gospel is being opened in Washington, D.C. as we speak through one conversation that came through an ice cream cone. Thank you for spending the time with us. I'd like to close with prayer. And then we'll open it up to questions. We'll stay here as long as anybody needs to answer questions. Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time you've given us. Thank you for blessing us. Lord, it is our desire to uh, ask that you would continue to guide us, show us, lead us, direct us, Lord, through this sea of confusion. Help us to go into the midst of Babylon and to bring forth the blessing that you've intended, Lord, so that that city could fall. Please direct our hearts and our minds. We ask you, Father, you have asked us to do this, and we ask that you would help us and strengthen us and guide us, encourage our hearts and minds to be doing that specifically, Lord, that which you've called us to do. Direct us according to thy word and thy will we pray and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.